everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. As Formula One is back, although before we even jump into Formula One, you know, this is, being that this is our show, we get to set the agenda. We get to set the conversation. And this week, I'm going to call somebody out. Not by name, but I'm going to call them out. I am very afraid of where you are going right now. I, I have just got to say that I, I freely admit I do listen to other shows. Some of it is to, to hear what they're doing, and some of it is to hear whether or not they're taking some of our material or if they're changing stuff in response to things that we do. And I got to say that one of the other shows out there may have made some content changes in the last few weeks, which I'm pretty sure is direct result of stuff that we're doing. And they don't have to admit it because if they admit it, then, you know, they would admit that they're actually listening to what we're doing. But I will just say that we will not resort to the cheesy, moronic stuff that they have rolled out in the last few weeks. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, there's taking the high road. And I didn't say I was taking the basement. <laughs> I didn't say I was taking a high. I never said I was taking a high road. I said, you know, this is because this is our show. I could do something like this, but I'm not saying who it is. I will not even hint or intimate as to who it might be, even if it is multiple might bees. I'm not saying. Okay, can we get on with our show? Let's get on with because our show. because focusing as we have learned in the Olympics. And in Formula One, if you watch your competition and not the race you're running, you lose. I don't know. Did We're you gonna see, win. Did you see Usain Bolt and the picture that they took of him in the middle of the race turning to um, strike a bit of a pose for the camera folks as he blew past everybody else? <laughs> It was kind of awesome. When you're the world's fastest man, I think you can <laughs> strike a pose, <laughs> vogue a little bit for the cameras. I, I still, I just in our Olymp post-Olympic wrap-up, now that we're outside of the embargo period with the IOC. Um, no, it, it has not been 50 years yet. Nobody has died. So you're still technically in the IOC embargo period. Uh, well, yes and no, but some things can be discussed once the Olympic Games and the torch has been extinguished. Okay. Um, don't ask me how that they, I know that. that. That they had Olympics. You're allowed to say that now. Pretty much. Um, anyway, there are a few key things that I wish to comment on on the Olympics. Usain Bolt happens to be one of them. I marvel at the fact that the man has never run the mile. Yeah. I, I think that that is, as a... Once running, but never serious person and never took it any distance. I have to be very proud of the fact that there's somebody that has that much success that's never run the mile. <laughs> <laughs> like somehow the mile is not the only thing that we can have great success on when we run. And I hope you saw that incredible picture of um, Michael Phelps swimming and uh, Kloss was his um, competitor, and that was the one I was referring to where he was watching his competitor. The competitor was watching Phelps, and Phelps was focused, dead ahead of, in front of him. It's a fantastic picture. That's going to become a motivational poster someday. Okay. That, that That's my list. Oh, all right. Well, to F1 now. The, the sport that will not be in the Olympics. I I, I highly doubt it. 
I, I can't imagine. Wanted, yeah, to remind you <laughs> that the the number of other outlets that also discussed the possibility of F one being in the because I think everybody realized last week. Hey, wait a minute. The FIA has actually been recognized by the IOC as as a sporting organization at that level. Who knew? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what triggered it. Was all of a sudden of really we didn't no. <laughs> well, you have to ask yourself the ultimate question: Did that story come out because it was an Olympic year, or because we were in the midst of the summer break and everybody was looking for a story? I think it was yes to both. I mean, everybody's talking about the Olympics, and hey, two birds with one stone. You get to get the coverage on the Olympics pages and in the Formula One pages. So I, I think that's why it popped up. Definitely. But on the good news point, okay. on the important stuff, F1 is finally back. Our wait is over. Our Saturdays <laughs> and Sundays can now be full of racing goodness. And the cars are back on the track. And the drama, the drama is dramier than ever. Well, Totally a word. You know, before we get to that, before we even do that, first we have to talk about um, some things that came out before the action started. You know, first up was Eric Boulier, who's uh, kind of the team boss. You know, I don't even know what Eric's role is at McLaren anymore with the reorg. I thought um, he was still team principal. Well, they don't technically have a team principal. Their last team principal was Martin Whitmarsh, who you know is now in an undisclosed location, possibly in a box under the ocean. Actually, it, he's in a box underneath the McLaren Technology Centers, I think, where Ron Dennis hid his body. No, um, Martin Whitmarsh is now living in your village from the prisoner. Possibly. Go check the reference. <laughs> possibly. He, he's, he's over in the village. Yeah. He's he's trying to find out who number one is. Well, yes, and probably very angry with number two. But do you think he would be number six? I doubt it. It's very important. And now that we have lost everyone, as they're going, what are they talking about now? Back on track here. Eric Boulier has come out and said that, you know, we're just over halfway through the season. Um, but they have not refocused yet, or they have not fully refocused on the 2017 car yet he says they still have developments that they are rolling out to the cars they are still working on improving the cars this week were, were some engine upgrades but they are s still pushing and have much more to bring to the car on both the chassis and power unit side for the remainder of the year so they are not done with the year you are not finished with seeing mclaren honda except that Fernando Alonso has dropped clear hints that he thinks McLaren needs to pack it in for 2016. His statement was, mm -hmm. we want to be world champions. This year, it is not any more possible. Just saying there is discord amongst the McLaren camp on focusing on 2016 versus focusing on 2017. You know, knowing what we know about Fernando Alonso and his relationships with teams that are not performing to his perceived standard, this doesn't surprise me. True, but he has said that he fully expects to be at McLaren next year. 
Right. He Well, he's staying at McLaren next year. He's got the contract for next year. What he is saying is that he has not decided on what the future like looks like beyond that. True. And wasn't he also the one that said, I'm going to retire from McLaren as a world champion, I'm sure. He might have said the world champion, but I know he has said that uh, McLaren is, is where he's retiring. And I can't see him going anywhere else. I mean, it's not like Mercedes is going to hire him and Red Bull's not going to hire him. And he sure as heck ain't going back to Ferrari. No, I think he burned that bridge and then, you know, dropped an atomic bomb on it. Yeah. So, yeah, I could see him ending his career at Mercedes or, or at McLaren. I just don't know if it's going to be on necessarily a high note. Well, that would be the Fernando way. Yeah. Speaking of driver's futures, Esteban Gutierrez. Now, as you recall, last week we talked that Esteban Gutierrez was saying that, you know, 2017 right now is completely and totally irrelevant until he gets some points. Mm-hmm. Well, this week going into the race, uh, he said he was asked about his future on Thursday in the paddock. He said, yes, I know I will be driving. He says, it's an exciting moment, isn't it? Everybody is asking what question marks and everything. So it is good. It is where you start to discover where the opportunities and chances are and things start to move around. Let's see. After joking that he could be driving a cab around Mexico City, he was then asked if he was referring to a race seat, replying, of course I want to be racing. There is no other option. Yeah, but he's not necessarily driving for Formula One. Well, he was then... um, asked to clarify if he was definitely talking a race seat as opposed to a reserve or a test role. Um, He was then asked if that race seat was in Formula One, to which he said, yes, in F1. So he seems to think that something is happening. Now, Gunther Steiner from Haas was uh, asked about Gutierrez's comments and whether he could be referring to another year at the team. And uh, Gunther started by saying Haas has not spoken to the Mexican driver about his future yet. Steiner said, I don't want to go into any speculations. We are fine. We are very calm about drivers. We haven't got a driver problem, I would say. There will be a time when we announce the drivers, but I don't know if he's got anybody else. We actually haven't spoken to him or anybody else. It's a bit of a status quo at the moment. So when he was when it was pointed out to him that Gutierrez's comments appeared to be quite cryptic, uh, Gunther Steiner replied, I didn't say I've got the seat. So that question is for him, not for me. I need to speak to him because if he's going somewhere, I will have to ask him. I hear you've got a seat. Interesting. Yeah, so, so kind of odd there. Very, very interesting. But, you know, the, the question is, what's the move that's going to really start to break the driver's market free? Well... I have two possibilities that might uh, shake up the grid quite a bit. Okay. These are all in the rumor category found locally uh, only on the gossip pages within F1. Hi, I can really talk, truly. (laughs) I'm I'm having a tongue issue. And you were mocking me last week. Well, yes, I was. Um, First, there are rumors that... Felipe Nasser of Sauber may become the other half of the Williams Botas team. Well, here's some some things to think about with that. We know Nasser brings money. 
Right. He probably d- does not bring Maldonado money, but we know he brings money because that Banco de Brazil is splashed across the Sauber car. We also know, especially after this weekend, where Williams had been comfortably in third for the last two years, they're now looking at maybe fifth. They're currently sitting at fifth. Yeah. That's a big chunk of money to disappear. It is. And when you've got Jensen Button as the other possibility for that seat, and knowing that Jensen doesn't bring that kind of money by any shape or form, it makes you wonder. Well, there's definitely that piece. But the other thing is that the rumor around Jensen is that Jensen is waiting for McLaren to make a decision. McLaren said that they won't make a decision until early September. Williams, who might want Button first, um, is basically saying they're not willing to wait that long. So there's kind of a waiting game. Now, given the fact that this is the 28th of August, waiting till the first part of September is not that far away. Yeah. But when Claire Williams was asked when they would announce their driver lineup, Claire said, we have an exciting driver lineup. When will you announce it? By the end of the year. Yeah. But Claire's also said that they don't want to wait for Button. Right. Now, here's the other little, could it be a hint of what Williams is thinking? Occasionally, Williams puts up happy birthday messages to their current, former, and past drivers. Mm-hmm. On the 21st of this month happened to be Felipe Nasser's birthday. And they warmly wished him a happy birthday. Now, he was a prior uh, reserve driver for them. He is wearing the okay. Williams race suit in the photo that they mm-hmm. use. But I found it a little interesting considering the rumors that Nasser was looking to go to Williams. And I also think, now there are fairly confidence that Massa is retiring at the end of this year. Um, and so I think it's also a little funny that we're going to replace a Brazilian Felipe Massa with a Brazilian Felipe Nasser. Well, we also know that there is a desire to keep a Brazilian in the sport. Oh, definitely. I mean, there was a lot of concern when uh, Massa lost his seat at Ferrari as to whether or not he would land another seat. And because at that point, there was no other Brazilian around. Right. So who knows? So that is one little shakeup that I'm reading in the gossip pages. And the other one goes back to our little friends over at McLaren. Mm-hmm. Now, you remember the gentleman that drove when Fernando hurt his back named Stoffel Van Dorn? The, the, gen- the driver who got McLaren's first point of the season, Stoffel Van Dorn. Yes. And personally, one of my favorite driver names to say, Stoffel. <laughs> who, is, who is also not driving in a feeder series. He's in like the Japanese Super Formula series or something like that. Well... Stoffel has definitely been linked to this idea of possibly replacing Button. Mm-hmm. And the idea was, the the confirmation of this type of information is when Toto Wolf of Mercedes announces that McLaren would be foolish to not put Stoffel in a seat this year because if they don't put him in a seat, someone else will. And if no one else does, Toto says, 
I will. So here's the other, like, let's think this one through. Stoffel has got a lot of buzz. Mm -hmm. If McLaren is still trying to decide button or no button, and Stoffel gets an offer, and Toto's championing Stoffel, would it be a manor seat that he might be thinking about? Or could that become the second Williams seat? Because they're also a Mercedes shop. Just a I, thought. I think it's more likely to be a manor seat. I think Mercedes has much more sway over McLaren than they do over what Williams does. Over manor. Or excuse me, over manor than what Williams does. Um, speaking of manor. Throw this out there. This is something I did not realize. So we know this weekend was Esteban Ocon's premier, his debut race, and we've heard a lot about Esteban. One of the things that we heard from, and, and it was Mark Weber who mentioned this over on the Channel Four coverage. Unlike so many of these junior drivers who are making their debut, including Rio Harianto, Ocon doesn't come with money. He is not a sponsored driver. He is in the position that he has strictly on his talent and the buzz it has generated alone, not based on the amount of sponsorship money he's bringing. So that begs a question. Mm -hmm. And I, I heard Weber mention that, and I, I will say this. Weber is a huge, huge advocate for non-paying drivers. Yes. Oh, yeah. He is probably on one of the most <clears throat> outspoken drivers that people should be on that grid for merit only and not because they bring dollars. Sure. Um, so I'm sure that that's a big source of pride for Weber that this has happened in a backmarker team, um, a team that probably desperately needs the money. But if you think about this for a second, they they axed Rio because his payments didn't clear the bank in time. Yep. How is it possible that they suddenly found a leprechaun that could foot the bills so that they could then take a driver without sponsorship? I, I think it it's more along the lines of, yeah, Mercedes may be offset, either Mercedes or Renault may be offsetting the cost of bringing him in, whether that's paying him or whatever, but it didn't come attached to, you need to put a brand on this car. Right. You need, you know, there, there's some level of advertising or whatever piece that comes with it, which you would get from um, Harianto, which came with the Pertamina money, or science or not science um nasser that nasser with Banco de brazil or, or whomever that kind of a thing well i think the big question is who's paying his salary i mean obviously think about it from manners perspective mm -hmm. if they don't have the money to hire a non-pay driver a driver that pays somebody's got to foot his salary mm -hmm. and so you've got to assume that it's either mercedes or renault that are paying for Ocon salary so now Manor's getting the benefit of a free driver well the the other possibility is that what could be going what what this deal could be knowing that he's got ties not just to Renault but to Mercedes is that there may be a, as part the terms of that engine deal may include something along the lines of if you take a driver from our development program for every one of those drivers, you get an X percentage discount on your engine supply deal. Mm -hmm. So that may be what it is as well. So it could be negative to their bottom line. Right. In 
not just a net zero, but a, a negative so that they're saving money. Right. I mean, those are all possibilities. But I definitely thought that was a very interesting. We've got a backmarker team that's got a non-sponsored driver. So those are the rumors in silly season that I'm hearing as I well, put my ear to the the, the other piece that you add to that is that the rumors are starting to pick up a little on Perez. Oh. And the thought that Perez could be a real big trigger here to some movement because the rumors are picking up that Renault is interested in Perez with this possibly being a Perez-Ocon pairing at Renault. Well, here's the thing. Paul DeResta interviewed Sergio Perez for uh, Sky Sports mm-hmm. um, this past week, and Paul, uh, Sergio said that the decision hasn't been taken. Now, how many times have we heard that this was a done deal? Uh, the decision hasn't been taken. Summer was too short to make a decision, but I really hope that in the next couple of weeks or the next month, we can because there's no more time to be wasting to make the decision. Well, what we know is... Forsen, VJ Malia has come out and said, we have a signed contract with Sergio for 2017. So what it may be what is, it is. Or, or what it is, is figuring out who's going to pay for the exit of that contract. That's not, that's not the decision that's being made. VJ Malia is correct. They have a signed contract for Sergio Perez this year. Mm-hmm. That's not the negotiations that are still going on. It's his advertising negotiations. Right. And so... They have they've secured the driver, but they have not secured the advertising that comes with him and his advertisers. No, that that's VJ has come out and said something to this effect that the advertisers that come with Sergio mm-hmm. have not basically ratified this agreement. Interesting. So if they don't sign off on it, Sergio doesn't drive. OK, that makes a little more sense. Yeah. So that's where this whole thing is starting to fall apart. Yeah, they've got a signed contract, but they don't they don't have a signed contract at the same time. So let's shift gears a little bit. We're gonna shift series, which stay with me here. It's gonna make sense as to why we're doing this in a minute. But we're gonna talk real quick about last week's IndyCar race at Pocono. One significant thing I wanted to mention was um, actually there's two things. Last week's race was over at Pocono, which was the first time that IndyCar has been back since um, the death of Justin Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, the notable thing and where that ties into Formula One, besides the fact that he was a British driver, he was a British driver that a lot of the Formula One drivers knew. There were several Formula One drivers who were pal bearers for uh, Justin at his funeral. Um, but he was killed uh, in an incident at Pocono where a tire had broken free from a car and bounced into him and hit him in the head, which renewed the calls for closed cockpits and Formula One and head protection, even though he was driving an IndyCar. And IndyCar has not renewed this conversation about a closed cockpit or From, from what protection. we've heard, there is no discussion at all of IndyCar doing anything regarding cockpit head protection. So now let's fast forward to this year and, and last week over at, at Pocono, where Elio Castroneves was involved in a fairly dramatic incident in the pit lane. Now, we've got the video of this on uh, the Facebook page, so if you have not seen it, go check it out. It's pretty shocking. It was a three-car incident uh, involving both Elio Castroneves, 
Alexander Rossi and Charlie Kimball. Um, Castro Neves was on his way out of the pits, I believe, when Kimball was coming in yeah. and Rossi was also on his way out. Rossi hit Kimball, which bounced him into Castro Neves and over Castro Neves' car. One of Rossi's tires actually hit Castro Neves in the head. How's Castro Neves doing? Um, he was okay. He walked away from the incident. There were no issues. Um, but it was a fairly dramatic incident. The car flew over Castro Neves' car completely and clipped his head. Ouch. And yet, IndyCar is still not talking about a Halo-type device. They're not. However, there's still the push for the Halo to come in Formula One. So I believe it was four drivers ran with it in uh, uh, Free Practice One in Spa this weekend. Um, and it wasn't just what we've seen in the past was the, the single installation lap. They did drive with it at speed. One of the questions was... Um, given the incline in Eau Rouge, would this be a distraction to the drivers with having something over their head like that? The word that has come back from Nico Rosberg and several of the other, other drivers was that they didn't notice it. It was not an interference. It did not cause any problems. And again, because this is free practice one, you've got to take this with a grain of salt. However, the um, Nico Rosberg set the fastest time in free practice one, and he did it on a lap with the halo installed. Okay. Which does seem to indicate that there is some degree of confidence with the halo. Now, again, it's free practice one, so, you know, teams are playing around with stuff there. True. Now, I will say that... Um the Frenchman driving for the American team, Roman Grosjean, mm -hmm. has come out and said that he is vehemently, 100% opposed to the halo. Uh, he feels that it is not in keeping with the spirit of the sport. I, you know, yeah, I get to some extent the this is open cockpit and... There is that, and, and, and I get that argument. I just find it to be, of all the arguments that you could possibly use, I find that to be the weakest. Mm -hmm. Well, I understand where he's coming from, and yeah, there is something to be said for open cockpit racing and, and open air racing, and Formula One has always been that type of an experience, and there's something to be said for that. But to say that's the reason why we shouldn't do it, I don't buy that one. Not as much as visibility or something else. Well, so the truth of the matter is, mm -hmm. you can claim tradition all you want. That's not going to stop the halo. The only thing that's going to stop the halo from happening or some type of external head protection like that is for them to prove that it's less safe. Either less safe or it improves the aerodynamic stability of the car. It slows them down. It, you know, there's a performance hit that fitting this would take. Mm -hmm. I could see that or, you know, visibility, whatever it is. They're going to have to prove either zero safety increase or it's less safe, I think will actually be the killer of it. Yeah. Changing aerodynamics, I think, might only slow it down. Or if somebody came out with a better option. Yeah. And I'm not sure that the aero screen that Red Bull had was a better option. And I'm not sure either, but... 
I understand the concept. What bothers me the most about Mm -hmm. this is not that we're talking about how we can protect our drivers more. I mean, trust me, I'm very pro protecting our drivers. I'm disturbed by the fact that no other open wheel single seater series is even talking about it. Yeah, that that's so. Have we created a solution that the the problem is so very small that you know it's it's a solution waiting for a problem to happen? Really, I mean, yes, I realize it may have it might have saved Justin Wilson's life. But we and can't. And it would have honest- further assured that Elio Castroneves walked away unharmed from the incident last weekend. But again, IndyCar has had two incidents in the last year alone. Um, three, if you go back about, because I think Dan Weldon died about four years ago. It, it, I think that was Vegas, and that was a similar head strike type situation. It would seem that the series that is having a bigger issue with head injuries would want to take the lead on something like this as opposed I mean I get that Formula One wants to be the leader and and innovator and all but I don't know the other thing that I would hope and I would really like is that somebody came up with an alternative I know. and that the rules stated that as long as you provided this level of head protection use whatever solution you thought best I think that would be interesting and I think that would be very cool I don't know that would be very interesting. Okay, so let's move on. Okay. To you know, we're we're at this weekend and some of the other stuff we just talked about. Free practice one. Um, did you happen to notice those of you that watched the NBC sports coverage that just before the race started, they were about to kick off and go into the formation lap, and um, well, NBC went to commercial. Let's face it, that's, <laughs> this weekend NBC did a lot of that. Um, they cut to a shot of Marcus Erickson lining up on the uh, the pit road as opposed to on the grid. You know, and they kept saying that he started from the pits but never said why. Do you know why? Actually, I do. Really? So yeah. and it was an actually reported thing that caused him to line up in the pits. It, it, what actually happened was that um, he got hit with a 10-place grid penalty uh, due to an engine change. Uh, Sauber was forced to replace the internal combustion engine and turbocharger on the car going into the weekend. Um, This was the fifth that the team used this year, but the turbocharger was the sixth, and as such incurs a 10-place grid drop for the race. So uh, Erickson, who had several other updates done as well, which it didn't look like they really did all that much, um, but as a result, instead of starting from the back of the grid, the team elected to start the car from the pit lane, oh. which might not have been a bad choice. Well, given the way the first thing, the first laps uh, lap occurred, I don't think that was a bad choice at all. But going on, because this wasn't all that happened when it came to this. And, and in a way, I had to double check the calendar. Okay. I, I had to, in, in looking at what was happening with penalties and such this weekend, I had to make sure that we were still in 2016 and we had not mysteriously flipped back and started watching it and started reading 2015 coverage. Okay. Because, well, before qualifying had even started, Fernando Alonso was hit with a grid penalty that had him starting in Paris. <laughs> Okay, that's a little far, but... 35 places. 
before qualifying started, he was hit with 35 places. And that was for an engine, a gearbox, new chassis, change of helmet. What what all did he, he do to earn 35 gear? Well, places? the... the both cars got fitted with upgraded power units from Honda because, like Eric Bouye said, we are not done with 2016. We are still we're still rolling stuff out. So both cars got updated power units. Um, however, in free practice one, Alonso only made three laps before a water leak in the energy recovery system was discovered, which required them to replace the power unit so that they could do a detailed investigation of that. So there was the first level. So then second practice comes around, and, yeah, there was another issue. So that put him on the sixth of all the components, which is this 35-place grid drop. Okay. Then we get to qualifying, and as you'll recall, they were investigating an issue that caused Fernando to, to be kind of late getting out there, and he didn't make it very far before he broke down again. Mm-hmm. What happened was, in going into qualifying, Honda was investigating uh, a low oil pressure situation. They thought they had the situation resolved. They thought everything was good, but they sent wrong data over to the team, which Honda and the head of Honda took responsibility for and said that based on the actual data that they had, they never should have sent Fernando out. Oh, wow. But because of the damage that was done from sending him out, that was engine change number three, which put him up to 55 places. <laughs> okay. So he had to start four races back. Yeah. But that wasn't the only massive amount of grid penalties that were taken this weekend. Well, we knew something was probably going to happen either this weekend or next weekend with Lewis. Right. We said last weekend that we thought Lewis was going to try to take the uh, grid penalties in Monza where it was easier to, to pass. Correct. Well, it, Spa is also a track that, that you can pass at. Um, but the decision was made going into the weekend right at free practice one – to change the engine. So we knew there was going to be at least one penalty coming. When Lewis was asked about it, and, and I'm going to sum it up because most of what Lewis said was just random word salad of, of driver stuff. But he did say that the engine that they had had on the car coming out of Germany that they would have had to have taken into this weekend already had a significant number of miles on it. It was a high number, and he was not convinced, and the team was not convinced, that even if they had kept the engine in place, that he would have made it through the weekend. And that's definitely a risk, because basically, if he had to take any engine penalty, mm -hmm. he needed to make it back up into the points. He was 19 points behind Nico. Yep. If he could make it back up into the points a little bit, he didn't have to get very far to at least hold on or get it just down to, to really close. Well, the other thing that we had talked about, was it last week or the week before, was this possible? actually no, it was right after Germany, when Lewis floated the idea of taking not one, but two engine penalties in one, in one race so that they could build up a pool of engines. Mm -hmm. Well, what Mercedes did is they heard that idea, and I thought, you know, that's, that's not a bad idea. Actually, what they ended up doing was after every practice session, they replaced his engine for three total engines. 
because the idea was apparently if you're going to take the engine and by the time he took number engine number two that was 35 places so you were guaranteed to be at the back at that point they decide you know what we're going to go big or go home with these penalties we might as well slap that on there as well there was also talk it did not happen lewis nixed it but there was also talk because if you recall lewis is also sitting at two reprimands for the season Mm. If he got a third reprimand, that would have been a 10-grid place penalty. There was also talk of him possibly taking the reprimand to get the third penalty. And he said that no. while he thought about it, he realized that it was probably not a good idea because the nature of what you would have had to do to get reprimands would have essentially been a safety issue or, or, or something along those lines that he really wasn't inclined to do up until somebody pointed out that, well, you know, you could have just showed up late to the press conference and that would have done it too. But <laughs> I mean, it, it, truly a, a reprimand would have not been just mooning the stewards. It would have had to be something yeah. bigger. And the thing is just showing up late to the press conference doesn't automatically get you a reprimand. It gets somebody to review it. And the thing is, it wouldn't take much for a steward to look and go, okay, he's trying to draw the reprimand. Yeah. I'm going to deny that for if it's a small infraction. If it was something big that they couldn't deny, that's what I think Lewis was concerned about. They, they don't have to give him a reprimand for showing up late. Yeah. Now, the question here, okay, he's taken these three engines. He's got this pool of engines on the current specification. Right. I had heard something that Mercedes had rolled out a five-token upgrade coming into Spa. So he got the, – if this is true, I, I haven't, I've only seen this in one place. But if this is true, he's got an upgraded engine now. But we've also heard talk that Mercedes was planning another upgrade for Suzuka. If that's true, Lewis can't take that upgrade without incurring another penalty because that's a change to the spec of engines, and he's got these, this pool of three. Except he can take some parts of the upgrade, I think. It depends on, yeah, on it, it, what, because what keep components in mind, are being upgraded. You can change upgraded. certain amounts of components. It depends on what components are being upgraded. Right. But there is that possibility that we could hit Suzuka and Lewis is running on a different spec engine than Nico for the rest of the season. It could definitely happen that way. But currently, he's got three fairly new engines. You Let's know just what? Be happy about that. You know what else Lewis has? Two dogs that went to him went with him to Spa. Well, no, going into Monza, he's going to have a brand new gearbox without incurring another penalty. Because what the other thing that Mercedes did again? <laughs> let's go back to this whole go big or go home kind of thing with the penalties. Okay, is. After qualifying, where he you know set enough time to, to make sure he qualified for the race, after qualifying, the team deliberately broke Park Ferme rules and broke the FIA seal on the gearbox, incurring that penalty so that they could change the gearbox ahead of Monza, and he's going to have a fresh gearbox for Monza. Okay. Go big or go home. So that put him up to the full 55 grid place penalty that Fernando got as well. Yes, but he actually started in front of Fernando on the grid because Fernando failed to set a time at all. True. So, there, you know, I think Lewis started 21st and Fernando started 22nd. And Erickson started from the pit lane, which makes it even further back. So the number of times that you heard Steve Matchett say on the NBC 
Uh, well, it wasn't just Steve Matched, it was Hobbs too. Say he started from the back of the grid and Well, he did start from the back of the grid. He did not row. start in last. Yeah. Which is what Hobbs was saying. Yes. Hobbs back said. of the back of the grid was correct. Last was not. Yes. Last last to third was not the answer. Marcus Erickson was in last. Correct. So all of these penalties and all of this stuff. What what do you think Total Wolf's thought in this little game that Mercedes just played was? Go me, go me. I did this right. I won. Well, we we know that Nikki Lauda's position is you exploit every possible loophole and 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 that's not cheating because it's within the rules, but you push him as far as you can. Mm-hmm. Well, Adrian Newey is that rules are just suggestions. Mm-hmm. I mean, well. Toto Wolf, he, while well, yes, he agrees that the team should have done this, he also says this is kind of moronic. Oh, yeah. You know, what he said was, you know, last year we had a race where Jensen took 52 places and it was so ridiculous to use more than one engine over a race weekend that shouldn't be happening. So we tried to bring in a regulation saying you cannot stockpile engines, but it failed. The proposal wasn't accepted by the other teams. So this time around, we decided to take more engines on board and put them on stock. But the system is far from perfect, and it sounds a bit ridiculous. We should probably close that loophole. (laughs) You think? (laughs) Now, here's the question I had for you. Mm -hmm. I remember more than one race last year where Jensen and or Alonzo Mm -hmm. took 20 grid place penalties. 20 plus. There was one at the, at least one where they had 50. Oh, yeah. And I never heard that they were stockpiling engines. They weren't. So here's my question. How did, how did no one else realize that you could do this until Lewis is like, hey, we could do this? Well, it, I think it was more that nobody was was looking at a situation like this. You know, Honda's issues were so bad that they were just hoping that they would get one engine that would work for more than eight laps. They weren't looking for the full season of, you know, if if we keep this up, we're going to need to change an engine every every race. Well, I wonder if Honda didn't have spare engines to do it with either. There's that issue. There's also the fact that, you know, Lewis is in a title battle. And, yeah, they could have turned around and said, the heck with it, we'll, we'll just take them as they come and not worry about it and where it lies, it lies. Or do you turn around and try and minimize that damage so that he can preserve the points and stay within the battle? Because if they only took one engine, okay, so he falls back into the middle of the pack, and, and this weekend that might not have been a great thing. But then again, you end up with this situation maybe four races from now, maybe five, and then you have a, a failure or an incident in one of these these middle-of-the-pack starts which which causes damage to the engine, and then you just keep this bleeding going, mm-hmm. where otherwise you rip off the Band-Aid, you, you, you spend one race in damage control, which is what they did this weekend, and then you've got three fresh engines that you can run and get you through the rest of the season because three engines should be plenty to get them through the season without looking at, um upgrades true true yeah i just what dawned on me was it seems 
so logical for Lewis to have proposed that they do it this way. And yes, a loophole that Toto would be like, now that we've done that, y'all should totally close the door on that. Yeah. Um, but it amazes me that, well, what amazes me the most is that McLaren and I play loose with the rules Ron Dennis didn't think of it. I think they did. I, I don't think they saw a benefit of it. Because of where they were in it, the, the truth of the matter was they, they were trying to have the upgraded engines each time. They need to have the upgraded engines. They need to figure out why it was what was breaking, and they couldn't figure that out. They couldn't sort that out. You know, let let's go back to comments that that Eddie Jordan had made last year at Spa about Honda that he thought that they had misjudged the competitiveness of Formula One. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think you're right. Now, can we talk about the race yet? Well, let, let's again go back to, to last week or, or last year. Okay? okay. Some comments that were made that pertain to this year. So last year, post-race spa, Sebastian Vettel talking to the BBC's Lee McKenzie. Sebastian, were Ferrari being a little bit too greedy in the end, do you think? No. So you were happy with the decision and you wanted to stay out? You could have got to the end, you felt? Well, how many laps I was missing, not many, and things like that are not allowed to happen, full stop. If it happens 200 meters earlier, I'm not standing here now, I'm with 300 stuck in Urush, so I don't know what else needs to happen. Uh, yeah. So in that case, so you're obviously upset that the, the tire went in that way, but you'd run it for 27. What is upsetting? Upsetting is that one thing is the result. You know, this is racing, for sure, you know, we, we deserve to finish on the podium. But the other thing, as I said, if this happens earlier, then, you know, I don't... I think it's a sort of theme that keeps going around. Nobody's mentioning it, but it's unacceptable. You were one of the drivers who stated your concerns to Charlie Whiting on Friday in the driver's briefing. Was that taken seriously? Well, I think it was, but what's the answer? Same as uh, every time. Yeah, well, there was a cut, debris, uh, the, 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 maybe something wrong with the bodywork, the driver went wide. If Nico tells us that he didn't go off the track, he didn't go off the track. I mean, why should he lie to us? It's uh, same with me. I didn't go off the track. It's just out of the blue, the tire explodes. And as I said, as I said if this happens earlier, then... But you drivers must be the ones in the power seat. So what do you do now before Monza? I think we need to speak to each other. Uh, it's probably not as bad as it was in Silverstone some years ago, but it's not acceptable. Okay, thank you. So as a result of that heated outburst, frustration, Pirelli responded. And this year they've caught a lot of heat for their response. Um, they, they have changed how the tires can run or, or how the teams can run the tires. Uh, they have actually required the teams to run the tires at significantly higher pressures. And they've even dictated camber angles mm -hmm. on the cars. Um, the trouble that they are running into now and, and the drivers were very upset about is a because of how much higher the tire pressure is, they, they don't get as much traction because the, the contact patch is smaller. Right. Um, but this is an abrasive track, and then this weekend was abnormally hot for Spa. So as a result of that, with these kind of pressures and the higher track temperatures, the tires were blistering. And once the tires blister, you have to get off them because they're not safe. <laughs> exactly. So in fact, they wound up creating a situation that made the tires less safe than potentially more safe 
they went into spa this weekend not even knowing how many pit stops were going to happen because they kind of figured that people would be changing the tires all the time for blistering. Jensen Button said that the tire the, the pressures are unbelievably high. You can see that by how slow we drive around on the way to the grid. Most cars are not going full throttle at all on their way to their qualifying laps. They're not braking. They're not pushing the tire at all. They start their lap, get to turn one, which is LaSource, and, and the tires work. It's amazing what we have to do to get these tires in the working window. If you push on the outlap, they're done by turn three, which is Eau Rouge, blistering and overheating. What we have to do is crazy. I've never had to do this before in my F1 career. It's the pressures, obviously not helped by the temperatures. It's a shame we're so high with the pressure because we're in a position at the moment with the tire where you can't push the car. You're just rolling around the whole time with the tire. Hopefully with the new tires for F1 next year, that won't be the case because it's not a nice feeling at the moment. And remember that whole thing where we didn't want to hear the drivers talking about how they weren't pushing to the limit all the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. Mm-hmm. But we did see a pretty spectacular blowout this time around in the race. We did, and, and that appears to have been due to some debris from other things going on in the track. But before we get to the track, let, 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 well, before we get to the race itself, we have stats. Oh, we stats. always have stats. Stats. So for that, you know, let's do this. Let's look at an incomprehensible map of the race course, shall we? I can't make heads or tails out of it. You? Uh, no clue, but no doubt it'll be exciting. And this week, it certainly was. It did meet the requirement of being exciting, yes. So do you want to start or should I start? Um, I will tell you that um, my friends over at Williams Martini Racing. They backed off a bit. They did not have great You stats. need to talk to them. Uh, I'll call and talk to my friend Masa because anything, I think one of the first stats from them that I fell in love with was something in Belgium for Spa. It was. It was cho how much chocolate they eat in weights of Masa. Mm-hmm. More stats and weights of Massa would make me happy. However, Europe's first and tallest skyscraper was built in 1928 in Antwerp at 96 meters tall. I saw that. It stayed the tallest skyscraper in Europe until 1940 when the Terrazza Martini Tower mm -hmm. was opened in Italy. That one, by the way, is 116 meters tall. The lowest starting position for a winner at Spa was 16th. The average starting position for the winner is 3.20, with the highest G-force at turn 3 for 0.2 seconds of 4.8 G, and Renault as a constructor has won at Spa just once. Wow. Now, this I found strangely interesting. Okay. Fallen Astronaut is a work of art. Yes. It is uh, by the Belgium artist Paul van Huyduck. I think it's Huyduck, but okay. It is also the first and only piece of art on the moon. Speaking of the moon, Belgium's Highway, apparently they only have one, but Belgium's Highway can be seen from the moon. The almost 100% lit highway network is... Oh, I'm sorry, the whole network. So, It's worded poorly, Renault. Okay. 
They're but French. What do you expect? The almost 100% lit highway network is one of the few man-made structures seen that far at night. Nice. Now, talking about uh, distances, Belgium's coastal tram runs 68 kilometers along almost all of the country's coastline, making it the longest single tram line in the world. Belgium has been producing chocolate for almost 400 years. The first evidence of chocolate production in Belgium dates back to 1635. Today, Belgium produces over 173,000 tons of the stuff a year and has an estimated 2,000 chocolate shops. That's a lot of weights of masa. Yeah, it is. Lots of masas. Now, if you live in Belgium... Mm -hmm. And you can't make it to Spa, which seems ridiculous given the pans of the crowd. I think the entire country was at Spa. <laughs> you should have no problem seeing it on your television set. The reason is that 97% of the households in Belgium receive cable television, making it one of the most cabled countries in the world. Yeah, I saw that. That was an interesting stat. It was I wonder if they have high-speed internet via cable, too. You, you you have to wonder. I was also amused that they used a tube television in their graphic. Yes, they did. <laughs> so Belgian the, the Belgian national dish, Les Frites, was wrongly given the name French fries by American servicemen when they arrived in Belgium, in Belgium at the end of the First World War. They named the fries after the French language spoken in Wallonia, creating confusion with the invention's nationality. A good frite has to be one centimeter square, rectangular, and fried twice. They also just, uh, they serve their uh, frites with uh, gravy gravy or mayonnaise. Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty much done with the martini racing facts. Okay, because I got track stuff after that. So. Okay, so I've got a couple of little <laughs> shout outs. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, yesterday, August 27th. Mm hmm was Mark Weber's 40th birthday. And I believe today is Valtteri Bottas' birthday. It is his birthday. I will tell you, I think he is 27 or 28. 27, with Weber turning 40. Which is what I just said. Yeah. Thank you for repeating what I just said. You're welcome. Um, all right, so on to the track at Spa. Okay, there's a 57% chance of a safety car at Spa. Excellent. Okay, Spa is the longest circuit on the, the, on the calendar. Mm -hmm. We all know this. It's 7.004 kilometers. Mm -hmm. It is more than double the shortest circuit of 3.337 kilometers, which is Monaco. Monaco. So I'm now done. Okay. Um, coming into this year, there were 22 winners from pole. Um, the top speed of 343 kilometers an hour with 63 gear changes per lap. Our tire choices for the weekend were the super soft, the soft, and the medium. Sebastian Vettel set the lap record in 2009 of 1 minute 47.263 seconds. In 2015, there were 19 overtakes, one of which would have been um, uh, Max Verstappen. And that turn on the outside of Blanchemont that mm. everybody talks about. Um, Renault in Belgium has, as both a constructor and an engine supplier, has had 117 starts, 
eight wins, 25 podiums, nine poles, nine fastest laps, and 359 total points. And again, that's going into this weekend. So those numbers changed a little bit. So that's what we have for stats. And it was a heck of a weekend. Yeah. At least the start of it was... The first 10 laps... Phenomenal. And Spa tends to be a track that the opening laps of that race tend to be big. If something's going to happen at Spa, it's going to happen in the start of that race. We've seen that in 2012 with um, Roman Grosjean and his dramatic crash with Hamilton and Alonso and about half half the field. Um, there were several videos in the, the Channel 4 coverage of both Mark Webber and David Cothard getting in some fairly serious and significant scraps. Um, opening lap, um, I believe the incident with uh, Michael Schumacher rear-ending Cothard was also an opening lap incident. There's a lot of stuff that happens at Spa. One of the reasons, in case you're curious as to what makes Spa so specific about an opening lap incident, is that Spa is so long mm-hmm. that once they get past those opening couple of laps, the field stretches out. Right. And while it makes for easier passing and some great wheel-to-wheel in smaller segments, you have 22 people going downhill to the first turn, all trying to vie for position. And today was no different. Yeah, starting out at... Uh, and, and we didn't hear exactly what happened, but starting out at turn one... It looks like, he has not said anything about it, but it looks like Max Verstappen, who qualified in second, had a really awful start mm-hmm. because he rapidly fell back behind the Ferraris. Now, he, we didn't hear any word as to what happened there because by the time they got to turn one, which is La Source, um, there was an interesting little incident, which I am not convinced was not Sebastian Vettel's fault. Well, it appears that three car they were three almost three abreast at mm-hmm. that corner. Max, who had started poorly, dove for the far inside. Um, Vettel was on the outside of the three, sandwiching Raikkonen in the middle. It appears from our amateur eyes that Vettel turned in. He pushed Raikkonen into Verstappen, making basically making a Raikkonen sandwich. Because Verstappen had no place to go, there was a wall. Mm -hmm. So we lost wings and bits and parts. And I'm really surprised that we didn't stop somebody's race of those three right then and there. And You know, it was probably a bit on the edge for Max. Um, We know there was body parts flying off the car. And and I I kind of expected at some point in that first lap that that somebody was going to get... uh, reprimanded if not black given what we have seen if not black flag for not pulling off i mean there was a lot of body parts that were flying off of both ferraris and max's car it did do damage to other cars along the way including carlos Sainz, another one who i thought was going to get black flagged or something for the state of his car and that he kept going and it didn't happen Mm. um so carlos Sainz picked up a piece of um fallen car blew his back right tire in such a spectacular fashion that the radials of the tire wrapped around the top wing 
his back. And destroyed the wing. And destroyed his wing. He wound up dancing at one point completely off the track. I thought that's where he was going to stop. He then limps it all the way back to the pits. No, he didn't get to the pits. He didn't get to the pits. He did not make it to the pits. Oh, he limped it to someplace safer to pull over. I I think he made it to the top of the hill at the, the Camel Strait, which is the long climb. And right over at the uh, the hairpins at Lacombe, which a couple of years ago was where Lewis and Nico had their, their incident, it was going through that that he lost control and spun mm. and managed to finally get off the track. Well, he, I remember them playing his radio, which is, no, you can stop here. Because he spun and then rejoined the track at one point with his flying car. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then his his wing was hanging at best, if not half on the track. Yeah. Um, so we pick up that. <clears throat> we wind up with... Uh, it Was it Ocon ran into the back of Button? No, it, it was Verline that Verline. ran into the back of Button. Um, it was probably in specifically in response to that incident of Button trying to slow down and, and avoid that uh, Verline crashed into him. I haven't seen anything that Verline has gotten a penalty for it. Although Verline was obviously a bit ticked at that, but he was. Um, Button's radio was interesting because he didn't know who hit him, just that somebody hit him. Mm-hmm. But his entire suspension, rear suspension, broke. Broke. Now that's a delicate part of the car, and that's going to become important as we talk about the rest of the incidents that happened. Um, his broke. He pulled over. All is good. And I think then the next incident that we saw was um, Magnuson. Yeah, Kevin Magnuson uh, coming out of Eau Rouge and into Radion. That's where the gravity, the, the forces against that car flip the loads around fairly dramatically. And if you don't get it just right, you end up in trouble. And he was in trouble coming out of Eau Rouge and into Radion and um, had one heck of a crash. Yeah, he got flung, spun completely around and flung into the barrier. He actually hit the barrier twice, although on the TV it looks like he just hit it once and buried himself really deep inside. But what he wound up doing was actually hitting the barrier from the back, mm-hmm. and then that slung shot him forward right. into the you know into the front piece. Um, it hit so hard that the collar around where he sits in the car flew off and over him his rear wing flew above him yeah and i was uh, having seen that replay a number of times to give you an idea of the amount of force that happened there you watch that rear wing fly forward and that's the the piece that you see the rhino on it that was his rear wing that flew past his head but then watch in those replays how long that that uh wing hung and stuck to the wall in front of him before it finally fell because it had that much force that it was trying to displace and get out before it could move. Mm -hmm. It it was stunning. Um, The theory behind why, and and I haven't heard anything definitive on this, but the theory behind why um, his headrest collar flew off uh, is possibly because the impact was great enough that it bent the frame of the car, which dislodged that headrest and sent it flying. And a credit to these cars. They did exactly what it was supposed to do. Oh, yeah. Now, um, Kevin Magnuson was taken to a hospital. He 
had a cut on his ankle. Mm-hmm. Was that the, the yeah, determination? Yeah, it sounds like it was just a cut on his ankle. Um, so they, the comment that I found very, very interesting uh, from Steve Matchett was that they don't call the body of the car the chassis anymore, but they call it the driver's... Uh, the driver's survival, survival cell. cell. Yeah. And that does exactly what it's supposed to do. It Every other part of the car is to fall apart. Mm-hmm. The the suspension is meant to be delicate so that it can fall apart and take all of the impact away so that the survivor cell can survive, make the driver survive. And it did exactly what it was supposed to do. But when they went to go pick that thing up, remember Alonzo's crash early in the season when we yep. went, which end is the front? That was the same feeling. kind of close. I had when I saw when they picked that, that car up. I'm like, what end am I looking at here? Now, the one thing I would like to see and I have not caught it, is what the actual force of that impact was. Um, They did have uh, the little meter up for several of the replays as he was going through. The highest I saw was about 12.5 G, which is high. Mm -hmm. But we've seen much higher crashes and and higher impact crashes. Um, I think it's once you get up above 30 G, trigger the FIA's concussion and head safety protocols and and some other medical protocols that that are supposed to happen. I don't know if 12.5 was really the highest or just the highest that that seemed to display. So I'm kind of curious as to what that number was and whether or not any of those other protocols were were pulled into play. Well, I, for one, while all the other protocols, that's fantastic. I'm just happy that he actually got out of that car over his, under his own power and limped away. Yeah. Um, that's all really great things. But that led to not just having a safety car, mm-hmm. but actually red flagging the race. And that, I think, threw everything around. I mean, we were talking about how lucky, as we were watching the pre-race coverage, how lucky it would be for Lewis to just in general escape whatever mishap may happen um, in those first two laps, mm-hmm. um, especially from what we've seen in the past. And, and there was even some discussion as to whether or not it might have made better sense to have him start in the pit lane since he was that far back. And where that pit lane has you join, you join after LaSource. Right. Might that have made some sense? Um but as it was, it worked out pretty quick. I mean, he got up to 15th fairly quickly. I think by the time the safety car had started, he might have made it into the top 10. Well, the first safety car that came out for was the virtual safety car. Was the um, virtual safety car. He was around 12th at that point. Mm-hmm. When the safety car came out for Magnuson's crash, he was in fifth. Yeah. I mean, he definitely benefited for the large number of retirements that happened in lap one, but he also benefited from missing the melee and being able to pass people that were caught up in it. He was in fifth by that point, and truly, at lap 10, he was in fifth place, and there was nothing stopping him at that point. Um, no, he didn't win. question the tires and the tire strategy. Yeah, I can see. And I think I understood more when they were talking about they were issues with graining. Um, because they definitely saw when he went to soft tires later in the race going up against Hulkenberg, he lost, he was losing ground lap after lap. And then as soon as they wore in, he was on, 
his gear, uh, Hulkenberg's gearbox passed him easily, not a problem. But they were so close to the end of the race, I don't think they had a chance to give up lap time waiting for a graining period. Well, it wasn't even so much that. I, I kind of wonder if it made sense for them to stay on the softs coming off, or excuse me, to to not shift to the uh, the the medium tires earlier. Hmm. You know, when when he came off that that safety car period, and his first pit stop, he went from I believe it was the mediums over to the softs. Right. That kind of makes me wonder if that made the most sense. Um, yeah, it put him on a different strategy than what Rosberg was on at that point because Rosberg had come out in the mediums, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's armchair pit walling, and I don't know if I can do a whole lot with that. However, I will say this. 21st to 3rd. It's huge. Massively it good huge. race. Massively good. Um, I don't think that he – I think that he might have had a chance of catching um, Ricardo. I don't think he ever had a chance of catching Rosberg. No, not at all. Not unless they messed up with a strategy somewhere. Yeah. So let's go back to, to Max a little bit because Max is under a little bit of heat now. Yeah. You know, obviously Max was upset over the the turn one incident. And this is something that, you know, I really got to give kudos to the producers over at the FIA and the World Feed because them following Max over to the pit wall – and carrying that exchange over on the pit wall between Max and um, Christian and Horner, Christian Horner w- w- with Dr. Marco looking on and that whole thing, that was awesome. The only thing I could have wished was that they had a better microphone. But outside of that, that was fantastic to get that inter- and to see that interaction and see that whole thing. And it was cool that there was a well-placed red flag for him to be able to do that. Yes, Yes, absolutely, because I think if that had happened over the radio, we wouldn't have gotten that. No, no. So beyond that, though, when we get back into the race, and and i got to agree with Max here. I I don't think he was at fault at all. Um, Which is rare, because there are times that we like to think uh, Max is Maldonado. Yeah, Um, I, I don't think Max was at fault at all. I think Seb was. But I'm not sure it wasn't a racing incident. Mm. And, and I agree with them not going and pulling it under investigation and doing that. Because the truth of the matter is, what Seb was following and what Seb had to know was where the car next to him was. He had to know where Kimmy was. So for him to turn around and, and turn in a bit on Kimmy and force Kimmy in, not necessarily out of line there. Kimmy still had room that he could have passed. But what Seb didn't know was that Verstappen was there. And there was no way for Seb to know that. That's not I, – I don't think there was a requirement for him to know what two cars over was happening, just where Kimmy was, with that thought being of, well, okay, I've left Kimmy enough room, but I'm coming in to take a tighter line. Kimmy's got to make that call. Do I fight for it and run the, re- run the wreck? Or knowing that Max is there, do I back out of it? And Kimmy chose not to back out of it. Right. So I, I kind of view that as a racing incident. But later on, coming up Camel Straight, there was a questionable move on Max's part. <laughs> um, that was a bit dicey. 
yeah, it might not have been within the braking zone, but I think that was kind of a questionable call at those speeds to do that. And Kimmy got a bit upset. He had words. He had a lot of words. We're not going to repeat them. Um, words for Kimmy. I mean, lots of words for Kimmy. Yes. Um, like triple his normal word count for an entire weekend. But uh, they, the FIA missed the bleep button on that one. Yes, they did. Some things got broadcast that probably they did not want to have broadcast, but that being what it is, um, at the end of the, the race, over in the pen, Max was asked about his comment, or, or his conduct. And uh, Max said, to be honest, it's a big lie. I'm just defending my position, and if somebody doesn't like it, it's his own problem. After turn one, when they do something like that, I'm not going to give up my position that easily afterwards. Well, he's been known he's not going to give up a position. True, and, and, and yeah, his feeling of if he gives up stuff, his, as he said, his father will punch him in the balls. Um, Kimmy was also asked. Kimmy said, um, I'm all up for fair battles and close racing, but when I have to back off on the straight, when I'm making my move, that's not correct. I had to break from full speed. I haven't had to do that with any other driver. Now... Seb, on the other hand, was asked by the NBC crew about Max's behavior and whether or not he thought that maybe uh, there should be some investigations, that, that the FIA should maybe take some action. And Seb says, which I agree with to some level, but in others I don't think so, um, he said that, you know, we're not in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. If we've got an issue with another driver, we should have a talk with that driver. And we should address it at our level without the FIA getting involved. And while I find the attitude to be notable, and I think for most drivers, it's just fine. But if you listen to Max's comments, I don't think that it's going to matter. Well, I think there's two things here. Mm -hmm. One, I have a bit of a problem with this vision of, you know, ticked off drivers going to like, I'm going to go pull Max take, out back yeah. of the pits and we're going to teach him a lesson. I have a little problem. It's a code with, red. It's a code red. I know. I was having a <laughs> whole few good men references. You can't going, handle the truth. Going on. But I also have, I have Maldonado-esque um, flashbacks too, mm -hmm. where he wouldn't have taken the driver's point of view seriously. It wasn't until, you know, until you get a race band like Grosjean did or somebody that the FIA is like, no, you yeah. can't do that. You know, Maldonado's position, it was always the other driver's fault, even right. when it wasn't. Now, the situation isn't quite the same. No, and I'm not saying you know. that Verstappen is the loose cannon that Maldonado is, but I am saying that some drivers at some point need the official body to say, uh-uh. That doesn't work yeah. that way. Yes, I think there is a certain level of drivers policing themselves and going, hey, look, we all want to live here. Mm -hmm. We all want to survive to race a different day. And you kind of start to see that if you look back into the Hunt Lauda thing. I think Lauda tried to school Hunt before it became this big issue. Um, I think that that's part of it. You see that coming through of, you know, hey, you're off the rails a little bit you know, let's have some respect going on. But when the respect ends and it's always the other guy's fault, it's always the other guy's fault, you actually need stewards to step in and say, no, I think it's you. Well, 
I, I think what would actually end up happening is very similar to when Seb had a talk with Daniel Kvyat in China. Mm. And, and let's listen to that. You asking what happened at the start. If I don't go to the left, you crash into us and we all three go out. Well, I was... Oh, not well. You came, came like a torpedo. Well, it's racing. <laughs> I'm racing, but, you know, if I keep going the same line, you well, crash. Don't, don't keep going. <laughs> yeah, but there was a car on the left also. Well, That's so why I, I hit the see, other I can see all the three cars, man. Come on. I have only two eyes, well, two cars. You will crash if you do like that. But we didn't, so. Yeah, you didn't. Yeah. Oh. No, it's racing, but you need to expect when you attack like you're crazy and you damage a car. You were lucky this time. Well, I damaged and Kimi damaged. I'm on the podium, so it's okay. You're on the podium. Fine. I think that's going to be kind of in line. And, and coincidentally, it was with another Red Bull driver. Yes. Which, you know, I think that Vettel should understand what their playbook looks like. Nah. I, I don't think that's necessarily it so much as they're pulling moves that, in all honesty, and, and Seb has said it. He said it when he complained about Ricardo in Barcelona. Well, you know, if the tables were turned, I probably would have done the same thing. Yeah. Well, hey. But he shouldn't do it to me. Uh-huh. Hey. <laughs> Two-way street, dude. Now, speaking of highly aggressive drivers, mm -hmm. I just want to pull out a little piece of history. For a minute. Okay. Um, you know what is special about Spa? Years and years ago, and I think this is like an anniversary, which is why they kept talking about it. Schumacher? Schumacher. Mm -hmm. 25 years ago, he made his race debut at Spa for the Jordan team. Yes. Now, and didn't finish. <laughs> and he didn't finish. <laughs> he didn't finish. No. But it set him up for a career. Now, at the time, he was completely and utterly unknown. Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of funny when you think about the fact that he's probably one of the most famous racing drivers of history. Yeah. But utterly unknown, driving for Jordan, and how exactly did he get his seat suddenly at Spa for Jordan? Well, you know, I should also add, not only utterly unknown, he only drove that one race for Jordan. That's it. Then he gets signed by Bennett. Yeah. But the driver who was who was Jordan's regular driver, got into a dispute with a cab driver in England um, over some fares, and as a result, pulled out a can of mace and shot the cabbie with mace. Well, at the time, and it may still be the case today, but at the time, mace was illegal in England, which the driver, A, didn't know. He also didn't think that this was necessarily an abnormal way to behave. <laughs> However, the the... Local authorities did not feel quite the same way. They took him away. They locked him up. He assumed that this was going to be like a 24-hour thing. They were going to ask him questions and let him go. And um, he was in jail for like three weeks. And in that time, he completely lost his seat. <laughs> so the lesson here is don't mace a cabbie. Yeah. Don't mace a cabbie if you're in Formula One. And don't do it in England. Well, he, he was also asked, to, you know, given that this was the event that catapulted Michael Schumacher into prominence and, and the, the kickoff to that career, whether or not he held any kind of ill will or bitterness toward Michael, especially because, you know, he lost his seat as a result of this. And he said, nope, Michael earned it. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was stupid and I lost the seat. 
but everything that came out of it for Michael came out of his own merits. And it wasn't at this ongoing thing of, you know, somebody's trying to spite me or come after me. He earned the follow-ups that came out of that and every one of those titles. Hey, it takes a big man to say that. Yeah. So do you have any other commentary to say? I don't think so. You know, next week we head to Monza. There should be a... I am hoping we get a decent amount of news out of Monza, specifically on what the heck is going to happen with the Italian Grand Prix. This should have been sorted in February. We were told this was going to be sorted in February. Here we are now almost in September, and it's still not sorted, and they've got the deal for next year, and I think that's it. Well, I think that definitely we should hear something about that. I'm hoping we start hearing driver lineups. I'm, I'm hoping that comes soon, too. i, I got to assume some of it's gonna, about to happen. Now, we have some very important bloke in the bird news. Yes, unfortunately, because um, actually September is going to be a crazy month for us. I think we'll maybe end up with two shows in September. Two, two shows. Um, you're traveling next week. You're, you're going off to your retreat in the woods to do quilting that you do twice a year. So Three times, but yes. Twice a year. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Michael can count. <laughs> um, so as a result, we will not have a show next week. Celebrate your Labor Day holiday. Open your Labor Day presents. Sit under your Labor Day tree. Yes, especially under the tree. Yes. Not around it, but sit <laughs> under it. Yeah. Um, but then later in the month, the 23rd and the 30th, we also will not be around because first I'm traveling, then you're traveling. Yeah, actually, so, we're going to be high-fiving each other in the on the difference in the travel between those two. Yeah, we'll probably pass each other in the terminal at the airport is how that one's going to work. Exactly. Um, we'll high-five each other. I'll say hi. You say, I'll say welcome home. You'll say bon voyage. So until after Monza, we will uh, – actually, we won't quite call the show because I want to know what people think about the, the, the Halo. We haven't asked anybody's opinion about it, and especially given what just occurred in Pocono. What are your thoughts on it? Is this the right answer? Should there be something else? Let's hear. Let's hear from you. When do you want my opinion? On the Facebook page. Okay. And on that note, I think we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.